Look How Sane and Linear We Are Being is a non-profit Homestuck fan analysis podcast and is not affiliated with Andrew Hussey or any of Homestuck's official entities. Please remember to support the release of its books and merchandise whenever possible. Feel free to read along with us. If you have epilepsy or any other light-sensitive disabilities or disorders, we suggest you stick to the audio. We have free audio transcriptions for this podcast linked in the episode description if you wish to read instead of listen. Both Elizabeths are trained writers and editors, so we're going to have some opinions about the construction of the story. These opinions may be different from yours, but we're not attacking the comic, just offering suggestions. This show is not safe for work, and if you're a minor, we ask that you wait to listen until you are old enough to be shipped off of Alternia to serve her imperious condescension. It's time to go to hell. Hi, and welcome to Look How Sane and Linear We Are Being, a Homestuck fan cast in the year of our Lord 2021. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm also Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, I have some bad news. Some bad news? So, the the four-year-old that listens to our podcast uh-huh. has been banned from listening to our podcast. Oh no! Oh, what was it? It could have been. It could have been any number of things. What do, What do you think it was? Do you think it was me saying that I was swimming in pussy, or do you think it was uh, all of the <laughs> cursing we do? Did say that, didn't you? Do you think it's because they're at the age where they constantly repeat everything I say? Ah, uh, gee, I yeah, one of those for sure. Actually, it was none of them. The reason that the four-year-old is no longer allowed to listen to our podcast is because their mother has told me, you are not going to believe this, their mother has told me they are too scared of Vriska. (laughs) What? Vriska is their greatest fear... And they get too scared and sad when they listen to us talk about Vriska. I'm not fucking making this up. How did they pick the one character who it's actually, like, valid to be afraid of? I I mean, I guess we talk about her a lot, but... They're afraid of Vriska because of us. I mean, well, first of all, that is a very discerning young person, and second of all, we're, we're, we're so sorry that we have traumatized this young child with talk of Riska. Nikki, I'm sorry for ruining your child off of Homestuck. <laughs> Start him young, that's what I say. Now, they're never gonna go through an awkward Homestuck phase, so actually you're welcome. Yeah, because they went through it at the age of four. Four. Vriska gives them nightmares now, so I don't know what I don't know what Vriska looks like to them in their mind's eye. I because- was gonna say because this is this is only a a podcast and not the actual comic. That's just 
uh, a blank check for us to say whatever the fuck we want on this show anymore because now there's no children to corrupt here. Liz, you say that as if we weren't already saying whatever the fuck we wanted. Honestly, we were never the worst influence on this child. Uh, this child watches Bob's Burgers and we were eating dinner the other day and they shouted, You bastards! at us. So... <laughs> No. <laughs> did you know did you know that you're like if a if a four-year-old swears at you, you're not supposed to laugh at it because that'll encourage that'll encourage them. That'll encourage them. But it's so fucking difficult not to laugh at a child standing up in their chair and very dramatically just saying, You bastards. Wow. Well, you know what? Yeah, in comparison, we we're not that we're not that we're bad. Not that bad in comparison. Homestead's not that bad, aside from the slurs and the graphic murder and the all of that. Speaking of graphic murder, there were there was a huge murder in this reading session. It's a murder that I've honestly, since it's come up here, I've not been able to get over it because like it it kind of blindsided me the first time I noticed this murder, and that's the murder of uh, Homestuck as a visual medium because of the way that Viz uh, adapted the interactive flashes. Yeah, okay, I was I was waiting for you to say something like that. No, not not any of that actual murders that took place. No, no, go go on, it, it, go go off on an artistic rant, please. I'm going off on an artistic rant. Because this was the first time we read the pages separately from each other. You know, like scheduling conflicts and all that. So I was a little short on time, so I thought to myself, oh, you know, I'm just going to watch the 11-minute video instead of, like, downloading the bootstrap, like, flash player to play it myself. I want to see what Viz has in store for me. I want to see what a new reader, such as Elizabeth, would be coming into. And honestly, the interactive flash kind of fucking sucks as just an 11-minute an linear video. Because, okay, especially this flash, which when I, was, when I was in college and not as smart as I am now, which, you know, is barely any smarter, I used to mistakenly be like, oh, I don't really like these game flashes that much. Because I don't think they're really necessary, and I think it's too much effort put in for this specific amount of thing. But, looking back on it, and not having it for this one, I think it detrimentally made this part of the narrative worse. Because what this Flash is trying to convey is the sense of going to find the quest bed, right? Mm -hmm. The point of it is that you go explore around and find the thing. Every little salamander NPC and little enemy and everything, those are just like little set dressings. The important thing is like the, the sense of exploration. And just having an 11 minute video where it's just someone not commentating on it at all, and just going through the section of the game, but also kind of badly, because it's painfully obvious that, like, they screen captured this in one take uh -huh. by, like, a Viz intern 
just screen capping this with OBS. Yeah. And it's not good. There were a couple times where the little sprite ran into a wall or something, and I had the thought, like, why didn't they do a little do-over of the- Oh, okay. Like, why didn't you just do this a couple of times over and then splice it together? Right. They went through the dialogue, which I know there were a lot of salamanders, but they went through the dialogue very fast. They went through the dialogue very inconsistently because, like, I noticed there was a point where they would talk to a salamander and they would, like, skip through all the dialogue. And then they had, like, two sentences of John and they would hang on that for way too long. It would just be a glove and it'd just be like, okay, I read it. We're good. I read it. I got it. I didn't have time to read the the other one there. And admittedly, some of that's on me because I was reading through our pages this morning before work while I was making breakfast at like 7 a.m. But but still, I think the point stands. Here's the thing. I know that Viz as a company probably can't, or they probably can't. I honestly don't know how this shit works. I'm not a game designer. I'm not anything. I'm not expecting them to take the entire interactive flash and make it work in HTML5. I'm not expecting them to do that. But here's here's something I, I had a thought about this as I was reading this. Mm. Because remember, remember for the earlier ones, they interpreted these flashes as like just screenshots of the game. But, like, they, they just showed them over and over again as if those were the pages of Homestuck, which I also think is not the solution. Mm-hmm. But what I was thinking of, I'm like, here's the thing. Viz is paying Andrew Hussey, right? Sure. We assume. Uh-huh. Why didn't they just fucking commission him to make these scenes over, but in exclusive Viz content comic pages? A Homestuck page is not that hard to really do artistically, especially if you're Andrew Hussey and you've doing you've been doing like eight thousand of these and they're practically just like control shift around, which it's it's more sophisticated than that. But for this level of it, I don't think it's it's not really as intricate as you would think it would be for this specific scene because it would be like the same few backgrounds over and over again but i'm like why wouldn't you just convert this into homestuck pages instead of an 11 minute video it's i think a problem of adaptation that this is essentially it's had to be adapted into a different medium because they couldn't keep it in the same medium of a flash game and they changed it as little as possible. It's just the game and seeing someone play through the game. And so, and I think in any adaptation of anything, even if it's very small like this, it needs to be taken into account that it is a different medium and that things need to be done differently for it to still make sense and to still work in context. I understand that. What I'm saying is... Obviously, the adaptation doesn't work in this sense, but we've seen that Andrew Hussey's comic pages do work for this kind of thing. It wouldn't work for the thematic sense of like, oh, you're going around and exploring things because it's still 
watching John going around exploring and not doing it yourself, it is, in a sense, more interactive than an 11-minute video than you have to play through because you do, in a regular comic page of Homestuck, have to keep pressing the next button. That's a sense of interactivity. In, in, a, in a weird kind of way of saying this, that is you consenting at the end of each page, yes, I want to read the next page. There's no point in this thing that they're doing here where you kind of say, like, yeah, I want to see the next thing John looks at. Right. And I think that takes away a lot of the reader's agency. Yeah, especially in something like this where the fight with the imp went on for a long time. I skipped um, that. I fucking <laughs> yeah, skipped No, it. I probably should have. Because it was just very repetitive. And if you're not the one fighting the imp, there's there's not really any point. And honestly, the poor the poor person who had to like OBS record this was not very good at fighting the imp. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's that person's fault, but I am saying that like Viz needs to splice that out or something. Right. It would it would have been pretty simple. You would you would think. You would think. You could even fast forward through it. It wouldn't be elegant or nice looking. Actually, I don't know if that would even be worse because that would be acknowledging that it was, that would be Viz acknowledging that this is a bad adaptation, which I almost wish you did, you cowards. That's just my little rant here. Mm -hmm. The whole time I was watching it, I, I know that it was different, the two of us reading separately. We, we usually read together. And we usually read it out loud, so it is a little bit of a different way of doing it. But just watching this like this, like, I got bored. Yeah. Honestly. I knew I knew there, were, there was funny dialogue with the salamanders and John, but the entire time I was just... Just waiting for it to be over. I want this to be over because I know what happens next and I'm excited for that. <laughs> this is not great um the only line that was good in it was john talking about how much he missed his dad that was very sweet i just i listen i always forget how much i love john and then we have some like john heavy scenes i'm like oh yeah i love john he's just a boy even your john bias couldn't get you through no this adaptation <laughs> no yeah i i did appreciate some of the dialogue and you know, his, his like, oh, yeah, I forgot I was being all, you know, incognito. <laughs> he was enjoying oh that God. so much. They don't know. <laughs> they don't know it's me. He, he was delighted of that. He's extremely dorky. And now he's dead. I messaged Liz at, like, again, 7 a.m. <laughs> this morning. Like, no, John! I was so upset. And I hadn't I hadn't done the reading yet and I don't remember exactly the order things happen. So I I just kind of like looked at the screen, eyes squinted, and I was like, "What part did she get to?" Yeah, and the part was when when John maybe got a little bit murdered. He's fine. Yeah, no, he's he's fine. They explicitly say he's fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that, you know, needed to happen or whatever. But also, it was very upsetting in the moment. 
he was tricked and and betrayed and I will I will say he wasn't he it, this isn't the worst trick Friska has done. Well, no. She's I mean she's done some pretty bad tricks. Compared to another trick later in this ex- exact session, Vriska didn't even do the worst things wrong this time. Yeah, that's true. I, I obviously don't have a perfect read into Vriska's mind because we fundamentally think in completely different ways. Mm-hmm. But let's work under the assumption that Vriska was telling the truth in that she wouldn't have put John to sleep if he had said, don't put me to sleep. Mm-hmm. So John's two outcomes in this situation, because Jack Noir was right fucking there. Yeah, and and John couldn't have done anything. Like, Jack Noir is way too powerful. So there, there are two situations here. First situation is basically what happened in canon. John allows Riska to put him to sleep. He dies in his sleep and he doesn't really feel it. The second... <laughs> The second is is he's okay. visibly murdered yeah. by Jack Noir, and who knows if it would be a single clean, like, <laughs> a single God. clean shot to the chest. Honestly, even if Vriska was lying and she was going to put John to sleep, I don't think that would have been the the worst thing. It's it's either you die in your sleep, you don't feel it, as far as we know. And it's one clean shot, or you have to deal with the this eldritch horror descending upon your small teen body. <laughs> you may or may not try to fight it off, and depending on that, you may or may not sustain worse and more pressing injuries than if you had just fallen the fuck asleep. I mean, I will say he sustained some pretty bad and pressing injuries by getting stabbed in the heart, but I do know what you what you mean here. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's pretty. That's like in terms of injuries, that's pretty bad. You know, deadly. You might say fatal. Even there are also three options about what happened here that I don't know which one to believe because. All three of them are equally funny to me. The first one is that Jack Noir doesn't know where the heart is. So he just fucking stabbed this small boy just in the center because that's close enough, I think. Uh-huh. Two is that in the, the Spurb universe, everybody's heart is squarely in their chest, which offers some strange possibilities. But the third. And what I think is the most hilarious option here is that Andrew Hussey doesn't know where the heart is. (laughs) The fourth option is it's probably aesthetics, but I really want it to be the third option. (laughs) I feel like if you're stabbing someone through the chest with the intention to kill them, I feel like any amount or location of stabbing someone directly through the chest, as long as it's through the ribcage is, like, probably gonna do it. Hi, I've taken three anatomy classes and you're fucking wrong. Uh-huh, well, have you stabbed someone in the chest in those anatomy classes? No, but there is a little bone in your ribcage called a sternum. 
And it's classically difficult to stab through. Oh, so you think that Jack Noir couldn't stab through a sternum? I am just- Okay. No, 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 no. Fuck you. Listen to me. Mm -hmm. The sternum is, it is, in fact, easily broken through CPR. And it- in in some classes, I don't I don't know if this is outdated or not. Do not use me for medical advice. But in old CPR classes, the the general rule was you knew you were doing it right if you broke the sternum. That's blunt force, though. A fucking like stabby bit. I guess technically you could, but it would be more economical. And wouldn't a trained sword fighter do the most economical thing? It would be the most economical to go between the ribs to get through to the actual heart. Like, if you're gonna try to, like, fucking kill this boy, because we know that Jack Noir is not trying to kill him slowly, because if he was trying to kill him slowly, he would do it through the guts. Okay. I... You're operating under under the principle that Jack Noir took the time to, like, think about what would be the very best place to stop this sleeping child? I always think about this. <laughs> and I feel like just the answer is, he was just like, yeah, that'll probably do it. Okay, option number five. Sternums don't exist in the Homestuck <laughs> universe. <laughs> no, let's go with that one. That's the worst. I like, perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's perfect. Speaking of non-existent bones. I don't think Tavros has a backbone. He... Man, I always want to like Tavros. It's getting harder to, isn't it? It's getting harder to. He had so much potential. Do you remember, like, when you first said that Tavros was one of your favorite characters? And I, like, kind of went a little bit like, oh. At first I hated him. Remember when we only knew him as, uh, troll text oh yeah but you loved him when you saw his room and then i met him and i was like oh it's my boy now he's just been getting progressively worse i'm trying to give him i'm trying to give him grace because he is a, a, a 13 year old my favorite part about this reading session and i it just completely hands down is that vriska has enough strength to telepathically, like, make Tavros write in her blood messages to him. Mm-hmm. That she makes him write it in her quirk, which often asks her to write something out eight times, and that she teases him about not letting her bleed out on the fucking stone. Listen. Riska lives and dies for the aesthetic. She does, but also, I'm surprised she didn't already bleed out. How many gallons of Riska blood paint has been used <laughs> to make all of these little messages to her fake boyfriend? So, so much. So much. Fucking, like, Vriska's dying, and Tavros is doing the goddamn Tangled Kingdom dance in her blood. You know, it, it, it I have no defense for either of them. <laughs> They're dumb teenagers. Also- Yeah, exactly. Also, mm -hmm. Tavros tried to kiss, like, a near corpse. 
Well, Briska did it to to him, so I guess they're even now. If the two of them would just stop. Here's my homestuck theory. Hmm. My homestuck theory is that Vriska and Tavros are canonically dating, and this is just a very elaborate roleplay scenario <laughs> they're doing. Oh my god. And they're just both, like, into consensual necrophilia. I really don't know where to start with that. <laughs> I think I'll start with the fact that they're 13. First of all. When I say necrophilia, I mostly mean kissing a corpse, not any doing anything R-rated with a corpse. I, like this this I is mean, this is 13-year-old relationship logic. 13-year-old just watched Sleeping Beauty. No, this 13-year-old just watched Hook, so Oh, I see. Nobody nobody has a good look. Nobody has a good look. No. It's all, it's bad all the way around. Okay, the trolls were kind of terrible all the way around here. The kids were great. That's just, that's just Homestuck, baby. Roll credits. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Just every time I go back, to, well, some of the trolls are mostly exempt from this. Kanaya is almost always good. 90, I'm gonna say 7% of the time. Mm-hmm. Kanaya's cool. Yeah. Especially, I would say, because she mostly talks to Rose. Like, Kanaya's a really good troll, and Rose is a really bad human. So they it kind of evens out and makes Kanaya look better and Rose look worse. Like, if you put Kanaya next to, like, John then I think that it would kind of cancel out. Like, you wouldn't think Kanaya was as good with John, but because she's next to Rose, it's just like... Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all relative. Speaking of relativity, there is a, a very interesting thing I want to talk about, but first, let's go on, go ahead and go to the half of the episode. Hey everybody, this is Liz, and we're not doing a minigame again this time. I promise we'll get back to him next time, but we just have like one last programming note here. Because if you didn't notice, we disappeared again for a little while on accident. I swear, it was accident. <laughs> and we can't even completely blame me getting a new job because it's been a while after that. It's mostly my fault. <laughs> I can't transcribe episodes until Liz edits them. But it's fine. No, no, no. It's fine. As we're recording this, I actually only have, like, I think ten more minutes to edit the the next episode. So the, the point of this is that we are apparently terrible at pacing ourselves. And so we are going back on a schedule. Not every two weeks, but... The thing is, when you give yourself a blank check to do episodes whenever you don't do them, so so we're, we're going to try and go monthly now. That, that should be enough time for Liz to edit, for me to transcribe, even with uh, jobs and uh, other creative projects and all of that. Yeah, did you know I started drawing the graphic novel the other day? Like, for real? Yeah. Yeah. Did I, like, I started the first page of it, and it's already really good. It's gonna be really good. 
But you know what's going to also be really good is the rest of this podcast. Yeah, so we should probably get to it. Sorry, sorry for ditching you again for a couple months, everybody. I can't say we promise it won't happen again, but we'll be really guilty if it does happen again. Yes. And as I said, I now have a job with a long commute, so recording schedules are a little off now, but here we are. We're doing we're doing our best. That's that's all I wanted to say actually. Back to our our home to stuck. Yeah, back to home to stuck. So okay. I have to talk to you about something. I'm fascinated to hear. I mean, we've talked for a lot, a lot of time, about how Terezi is my favoritest character on the planet. Uh-huh. Not even in Homestuck, just my favoritest character that's ever existed. No, that's, that's, that's wrong. It's actually, it's probably fucking, lately it's Naoto from Persona 4. No, so we, we've talked about how she's my favoritest character. Yes, yes, you, you love her very much. She's great. So, like, remember how we were saying earlier that Vriska was, like, doing a good job this time, like, comparatively to everything, and that, like, even though John didn't really have a choice in anything, she, she was still, like, g- helping him out a little bit, and she did, like, ask his consent to put him to sleep, and- And even if she did end up betraying him, like, it probably would have been better for him. So, Therese's fucked up. Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm not going to explain what Terezi did, because honestly, it doesn't make any fucking sense. No. I'm sure, I'm sure if I had a couple hours and some cups of hot chocolate, I could summarize it in a a succinct way. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try in like a sentence. Oh god, no, I'm gonna gonna go grab some water, you go do that! (laughs) No, no. So she basically split the timeline at the coin flip. And in one timeline, the coin flip didn't change. The only thing that changed uh, was what Dave said there. And so that's where she split it and sent one Dave to go to sleep and the other Dave to murder the sleeping Dave, which she knew was never going to happen. And I think that's about it. You know... Yeah, that was like that's like one sentence. You could, you, I could say you're right or wrong, but I couldn't because I honestly don't care that much. The point is, is that Terezi was fucking unhinged about it. Yeah, to me, the most interesting thing about the whole of this reading session was the comparisons between Terezi and Friska. Yes, because I think. They're always very good foils, of course. But I think it really shone through this time. Sort of like uh, the scope of luck and fate and uh, Riska counting so much on luck, of course, that's her thing. And even though she, you know, with the eight eyes and whatever, she doesn't see things like Terezi does. Terezi has this whole scope of fate and choice and seeing how things are going to go. She said at one point something like, I, I can't remember the exact words, I don't think these this was it, 
that, that like, luck is bullshit. Mm-hmm. That's it. We saw that very, uh, very obviously with the coin flip. It didn't matter what the coin landed on. It never did. It didn't matter what the coin landed on. It didn't matter what Dave chose. It, it wasn't even, like, predestined. Uh, Therese could just see it, and she could see these different paths. There was actually less choice for Dave than for John, even though it seemed like it was the other way around. Yeah. For all of Riska's dialogue where she comes off very much as shady, but she's being fairly genuine here. Like, even if she lies to John about what's happening, she's ultimately giving him, like, the mercy version of this situation. Even even if she lies and, like, breaks boundaries and, like, even even if she puts him to sleep without his consent, she's giving him the better version of this scenario. Right. Like, she may be manipulative and terrible, but she's also fairly straightforward. Well, no, I wouldn't say she's straightforward. Vriska in this situation is obscuring a lot of information from John. Yes, I'm not saying that she's straightforward in how she's presenting things to other people. I'm saying that she's straightforward herself and in the decisions she makes. What I'm trying to say is that compared that to Terezi, who is being extremely blunt with Dave, and she's basically laying out everything she's doing with Dave. She's technically being more honest with Dave and more straightforward with Dave. But mm-hmm. there's no point in this situation where she's giving him any kind of comfort or mercy in the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, despite Terezi doing what, you know, we would normally say is the right thing here, being extremely honest with Dave about what his place is in the situation and what's going on, she is in no way making this situation any better for Dave. No, he seems to be upset by pretty much every minute of this. Friska, like, she's not making John super comfortable either, but she's also leading him away from a situation that would make him a very similar amount of distress than Dave is being right now. Like, getting stabbed in the chest by the big bad of the entire campaign you're playing while you're awake is pretty comparable to being told that you have to kill yourself. Like, yeah, yeah. Even in a different timeline. Uh, it is distressing to Dave in a lot of ways, and Therese put him in this situation knowing he wouldn't do it. Dave outright says that, like, well, if you've seen all of this, then you know I'm not doing that. She was like, yeah! Normally, you will see Vriska, like, kind of having fun with being the tormentor, you know? Mm-hmm. We, we've seen Therese kind of play that role, too, where she's making someone uncomfortable and she's having a good time doing it. Mm-hmm. This is the first time it's read off as, like, 100% malicious to me from Terezi. Yeah. And that's saying something, because before she was 
part of an active hand in killing Dave once. <laughs> right. It's never seemed as personal for Terezi as it is for Vriska. Like, at least in my interpretation, that Vriska's, if you want to call it torment, is is very personal. She likes making people feel uncomfortable with her. Like, it's about her relationship with this person. To Rezi, it comes off a little differently to me. To me, it doesn't seem as much that she's making Dave feel uncomfortable with her as she's making Dave feel uncomfortable with the situation and what she can do and, like, a larger scope of what's going on and what can be going on and how much he has control over or doesn't. A sort of more existential uh, distress rather than a, a personal uh, a personal distress. Here's a fun philosophical question. Uh, hello, cat. Can I help you? <laughs> That's not the fun and philosophical <laughs> what question. Can I, what can you do for your cat? That's the question. But what's the big philosophical question to me is, do you think Terezi realizes that she's employing a lot of the same practices as Vriska does? Yeah, no, you're right. That is the question. Because Terezi has openly said that she thinks Vriska's a bitch mm -hmm. and that her way of manipulating is, like, gross and weird. But she's also said... Stuff along the lines that, like, I don't need mind control to manipulate people. Mm -hmm. You rely too much on that. So it's obvious that Terezi recognizes that she is manipulating people, but does she recognize that she's basically Vriska's foil here? I think she does to some extent, just because of who they each are and, like, their relationship with each other. I don't know that Terezi sees herself as being as bad as Vriska or having the same morality as Vriska, I don't necessarily think they have the same morality. I think they can have the same or similar impact on people, but coming from different places. I think the difference, I think the difference between Vriska and Terezi's morality is that Vriska rationalizes her morality in ways like she will say, oh, I'm trying to make you the best version of yourself you can be. Like, she'll rationalize it out that way. And Terezi doesn't. She does not rationalize it. She goes, yeah, I'm doing something bad and I'm doing it on purpose. Yeah, and then just sort of leaves it there. She doesn't necessarily have reasoning for why she's doing what she's doing. Obviously, just in the space of fiction... You can you can say, like, oh, Vriska is... And I have said it, like, five minutes ago. <laughs> you you can say, like, oh, Vriska's being, like, the nice one here. She's being the one that's offering some kind of mercy. And Terezi's being more honest, but she's doing it out of malice kind of thing. But if you encountered this situation in real life, Vriska is 100% the type of person who is going to abuse somebody long term mm -hmm. versus like Terezi you're just gonna interact with her a few times and go oh you're a bitch and leave <laughs> right she's she's not 
manipulative in the same way. She will use people as tools and she'll openly tell you she's doing it. So you, you don't ever make up a relationship with Terezi where you think you're on the same plane with her. You never are and you both know it. And Terezi doesn't do this with everyone, by the way. She she has friends that she doesn't manipulate. Her relationship with Tavros, like, they're just buddies. Right. She doesn't try to get him to do shit. And you could say, oh, it's because they're friends. Or you, or you could read it in, like, a more malicious way and say, or she doesn't see him have that value to use mm-hmm. him. Which Vriska has kind of this complex where she thinks she can fix people into big heroes by bullying them. I think her manipulation is trying to manipulate someone into someone else, specifically someone she wants them to be, she likes, something like that. Terezi is manipulating the person within who they are. It doesn't look as abusive, if we want to use that terminology, but is arguably, it can be more distressing. You wanted to say something about Leet Speak. Oh, the only thing about Leet Speak I wanted to say is that it's so fucking hard to read when we're not reading together. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Without you there to interpret Terezi for me, I was dying. I just, I just, I just, it's very hard and it hurts my brain. Here's the thing. I have been spoiling you as far as learning Homestuck Leet Speak goes. I mean, I can, listen, I can read it. It's just, Can you? Yes. I read all of it this morning, didn't I? It just takes me a little longer and I don't like it. It makes my head hurt. Oh, you sweet summer child. I can type in that Leet Speak natively i see oh speaking of natively i wanted to talk about this i don't remember this ever being discourse back in the day and i don't think it it possibly could be because there's no way it's possible i don't think anyone could ever accuse andrew hussey of native advertising ah because 90 percent of the time when he brings up a product in his media It's specifically to make fun of it. I will say, I feel like that is a a form of advertising. Like, the goal is to get it in and make it memorable. Not necessarily to, I mean, in traditional advertising, of course, you want to spin it in a positive light. But I don't know that I would let him off the hook 100%. That is true. Like, the fact that any press is good press for advertising. But I fucking dare you to find a single advertising executive that would allow Andrew Hussey to do this specific type of campaign. I mean, if you've ever watched like a YouTube video where the YouTuber is playfully dissing uh-huh. the, the product that they're talking about, uh-huh. it's always like very playful, you know? Yeah, it's like, Link... This is terrible. It's not like, oh, this fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't remember the exact line, but John drinks a can of Tab, and he's like, this fucking sucks. Like, oh, great, it's Tab. Oh, 
This is awful. You've always wanted to try this. It's awful. And it's not even like this is the first time they've described Tab this way. Mm -hmm. This isn't even the first time they've described Fago this way. (laughs) Every time specifically a soda is brought up, the, the narrative goes out of its way to tell you that it tastes sugary and bad. <laughs> Which, like, that's just soda, but okay. I, I, I think Andrew Hussey might not like soda. Andrew Hussey doesn't know what a sternum is and doesn't like soda. We've cracked the code. Oh, right. What do you think God tier is? I'm super powerful, maybe, uh, ability to make a new universe. Although only Vriska ascended to God tier in the Trolls session, so I don't know. But I've heard that term before. And I've heard about, I, because it's the, your, your character design changes. I really, what really was fun about it is that this is the first time... Well, it's not the first time, actually, but it's the first time on screen that we just see John getting a new shirt pattern. I know he had a new one. He had a, he had a different one when he was a kid, but, you know. Yeah, but that, that was different. Now he, like, has a new official shirt pattern, TM. Do you like his shirt pattern? Um, yeah, it's cool. Let me tell you, my friend and I did one of those, trans- like, printer transfer sheets. Haha. <laughs> of this specific design on one of their shirts. I only remember this logo as, like, crackly and bad because you know those printer transfer sheets always end up looking like that after, like, two washes? Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm sure, I'm sure John's looks really great. John's probably looks like it's magically affixed on there. Oh, yeah. Or it's, like, one of those screen prints where... It's not even that it's a design that's laid on top of the fabric, but it is specifically dyed into the fabric, you know? Like, one of those really nice ones. Oh, yeah. It's, like, actually part of the weave of the fabric. Yeah, or embroidery or something. Something nice. Yeah, something nice. It's it's hard to tell when it's pixels like that. As I was watching... John rise up. It really hit me immediately right there how fucking crunchy the old flashes are. Yeah. The sound quality was so crunchy <laughs> and the visual I think the visuals were crunchier than usual because there were a lot of like smaller particle effects going around. You know, it's it's viz so you can still see the the little I the little microphone icon in the corner that you can't interact with because obviously this is just another fucking OBS screenshot. Yeah. But it's like the the icon is crunchy, the music is crunchy, everything's just like a little JPEG artifacted. <laughs> it's part of the charm. It is part of the charm, but I have to think this isn't that far back in the comic. You have to think that Andrew Hussey still has the source files somewhere, you know? You would think. Knowing him, maybe not. Yeah. Anyway, I think that's going to be all of the homestuck we have for today. Today we read through pages 3079 through 3119. Uh, You can read all of homestuck on homestuck.com. 
and we have the accessible versions. I should actually check out our Tumblr and see if I need to update anything. You know, Tumblr changes sometimes, but we have the image descripted and the audio the audiobook versions on our Tumblr, lookhowsane.tumblr.com. Also there you can find transcriptions for every episode of the podcast we do in case you can't or don't want to listen to our voices, which is fine because occasionally I will uh, say some shit just like Olympic diving into pussy. Okay. <laughs> you just- Which Elizabeth also has to describe. I always do, but we have- I'm sorry, that just really threw me off my game. Oh, just the, 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 the visual I, of Olympic I, diving into it pussy? just, it's something. I, uh-huh. I'm just, I'm just, uh-huh. no, I, no, I, I'm, I'm just gonna, spelunking into that pussy. Gonna, I think we're gonna move past uh, that. We you know, I'm just, I'm just, I've just got we my a, snorkeler all up in that <laughs> pussy. Please, no. The four-year-old isn't listening anymore. You would have said that even if the four-year-old was listening. Um, we have a Twitter. We have a Twitter which is at how underscore sane. I run that Twitter. Our music is done by Elizabeth's wonderful uh, brother Daniel. No, no. He is, funnily enough, he is also going into music. I'm the only outlier. I should ask him what is uh, YouTube channel is he does he he's doing music journalism. Oh, I didn't know Daniel was also going into music. Yeah, yeah. My parents are like, this is this is what we get for telling you all to follow your dreams and paying for thirteen years of piano lessons. It's not Daniel who did this particular music. This one was done by John Michael. Yes, it was John Michael Sullivan who. Is as far as I've heard, a good guy. Yeah, you know, he's a good guy. Little little brother. Also, please go rate and review us on iTunes and be nice about our our abandoning you. It won't happen again because we're gonna be on a schedule. It'll happen again. <laughs> no, whoa, don't say that. But while I'm on the subject, I was also interviewed for another podcast. It's called Queer I Am Lord. Uh, it's all interviews with queer Catholics. You're Catholic? I would have never guessed. Oh, right. Yeah, it's not like that's informed the entirety of our graphic novel series, which you should probably also read if you're queer and Catholic or ex-Catholic. It'll, it'll I think it'll resonate. Um, <clears throat> I'm not Catholic and never have been. Also that, but... Yeah, I was interviewed for that, and I mentioned it last time, but uh, the episode has since come out. It's very easy to find which one is mine because my name is on it. It says, the episode says, Elizabeth Sullivan, dash, quote, the church is my home. So yeah, that's out now. Please go give it a listen. Uh, Jorge was a wonderful interviewer, and it's I, I think it's an interesting topic. I talk about words and language and religion and being queer. So it's great. And until next time, remember, Vriska did nothing wrong. Teresi, on the other hand, I'm...